We've been up in heaven. We saw the glory plan. We kind of looked at things backwards. And uh, we uh, then uh, saw the details about the glory plan and so forth. And <laughs> down front. All right. No, you're fine. Anyway, please and thank you. There you go. You were raised right? All right. There you go. Thank you, Mark. There we go. Perfect number. All right. Ephesians chapter number one. That's okay. I meant to say that in the announcements there, and uh, I uh, didn't, uh, we're out of them. I think that's it. So, here. Well, it went away too. Okay. All right. Ephesians chapter 1. We, we were up in glory. We saw the glory plan of the Father. We looked at that. We saw the issues from moving f- uh, about the rapture. We saw those events. Those are events that you need to be very well, well aware of and so forth. And then uh, we, uh, the question had come up uh, about, well, what happens when someone dies? So we went over and looked at absent from the body and present with the Lord, and we went and looked around heaven. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed those. Uh, I've, uh, I've had received uh, emails from all over the world about, hey, thank you, praise the Lord, and so forth, and really needed that. And I'll be honest with you, in, in a time of uh, present, you know, time of trouble, a time of distress, however you want to claim, call what we're going through, I call it the corona, so, you know, because that's, you know, what it is, or what it's been called, one of the many names. But it's, it's always wonderful to set your affections on things above. And rather than dwelling down here, we're going to talk about some stuff about down here. But rather than dwelling on, on you know, oh, woe is me, let's go and rejoice in the heavens. So we went up looking around there and so forth. And, and I ended with the heaven part of it, talking about we're not going to stay in heaven. We're not going to stay in the third heaven. We're going to, there's a movement that's going to happen. And we began to talk about that last time. And this morning, I want to look at the issue about looking at the heavenly places and going and moving and, and, and move into the heavenly places. Now, I realize that we have talked about the ranks and the authorities and the governments. We're going to talk about some of that again. And, and I'm, I'm trying to add to what we've already discussed and, and studied, okay? Because as I've grown in some of this, so then I'd love you to grow in it as well. Ephesians chapter number 1 is going to be kind of our launch pad here. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 15, but it's really down in verse 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. Verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. It's interesting, Paul, one of Paul's prayers is now listed here. And uh, what the holy and what you see in Paul's by the way when you when you hear someone pray out loud you are literally hearing what's on their heart that I'll be honest with you we don't do a lot of it here mostly because we never when we got started we I never trained you to do that but really to hear men pray audibly is to hear what's on their heart because prayer is what's going on inside you. You're talking to the Father. Have you ever t- had that self-talk where you say, man, I don't know if I should do that or not? Or maybe I... Well, you, really, you're talking to the Father. He's sitting right there, the, 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 the Godhead, if you will, or sitting there. They're listening to you. 
You think you're alone in the car and no one hears you, you know. Oh, that dirty, rotten so-and-so. Maybe I should go hit him. Right? You know, boom, you know. And you're like, no, I won't do that. Well, the Godhead hears you say that. That's what prayer is. Pray without ceasing. How is that done? It's just talking to the Father. It's not some big bugaboo, hoodly-doo thing, you know. It's not at all. It's just simply talking to the Father about what's going on. And when you say, hey, should I do this or not do this, in your self-talk, in your head, that's, you're talk, that's prayer, man. You're talking to the Father. Now, how does God answer you? And he said unto me. That's how he answered you. Now you're going to go get in the book and say, okay, now how do I take that verse and put it to that practice in my life? And that's really what the grace life is really all about. Paul's prayer here, verse 15 and 16. Notice, this is what the Holy Spirit would pray for, faithful, mature, functioning saints. This is not a prayer for a babe in Christ, okay? A babe in Christ prayer, that's back in Romans and in Corinthians and in Galatians. We're now in mature land. We're in adult land. We're in the land of the adults here. We're in mature. We're perfect. We're maturing saints. We're functioning. Notice in verse six, uh, 15, whereof I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord. These are faithful. If you turn back to, in chapter 1 here down to verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. This isn't a prayer of, oh, we, you know, come on, honey, let's get, you know, let's get your diaper changed. This is not, this is let's put your big boy pants on and let's get on with functioning. 117. What's he going to pray for mature, functioning, faithful saints? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. And again, we've looked at a lot of that detail may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and, and the, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Notice that Paul, Paul says, you know what I, my prayer for you is? My prayer for the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. There's three things listed there. He wants you to know. He wants you to comprehend. He'll say that in chapter 3 in the prayer there. He wants you to know something, something about wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's some, there's some information that God has given, this revelation, and Paul's praying that your eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know some things. Because that revelation this revelation is designed to produce a thinking process in your life, a mental attitude in your life that, is, that comes from comprehending the whole, the totality of the Father's plan, the Father of glory. What's he thinking? What's he doing? And when you can bring all, when you have the eyes of your understanding enlightened, wow. You know what? I was watching. Uh, I like the ter the car, the old car shows where they rebuild them and tear them down. One because I got one, and I'm trying to figure out how to do some things. So, you know, you watch them, you get ideas. And you know what? It's interesting. It's fascinating to me when you have time and money, what you can get it done. You know, and the garage to do it in. Okay, 
It really is, you know. But I'm watching this one guy, and he's working on the front end, and he's doing this, and I go, man, I, that's what I needed to know how to do like three months ago when we tried to do it, and it fell apart, <laughs> and it didn't work, you know. And you, why? You, you, have some un, you begin to gain understanding, and you gain some knowledge, and, some, and he says, hey, look, I want you to comprehend this. I want you to know, you know, when we live out of our understanding, we're not designed to live out of our emotions. Usually when you live out of your emotions, too often times those emotions are in rebellion against your will and what you know you should be doing. You see, we're to operate from our understanding. And he goes, I want you to understand some things here about what the Father of glory is planning. I want you to understand some things about what you need to be focused on. First one is the hope of his calling. That's a great thing. Come over to, hold on to here, look at Hebrews 6. That, that, that word hope, uh, a confident expectation of what God is going to do. Now, we have hope that the sun comes up tomorrow. Do we have a, a, a confident expectation that the sun will rise in the morning? Yeah, why? Because it always has, hasn't it? Okay? And by the way, Genesis 8 says it's going to. Okay? So we know that. But when we talk about the hope of his calling, calling as a member of the body of Christ, we have a confident expectation of what God is going to to do. Look at Hebrews 6 and look at verse 19. I've always looked for a definition of hope from in a verse, and I found it here one time when we kind of sang this song. But anyway, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that wonderful to describe hope? As an anchor of the soul. What anchors you? What are we looking for God to do? Boop, 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 boop. Rapture, come back, resurrection, get us out of here. End the dispensation of grace. Move on in the program, right? We're expecting that. We have a competent, a confident expectation of that event, don't we? Do we not? Aren't we looking for? Don't we, when we begin to understand what we've been looking at since what, for, what four months ago we started this issue? We have a confident understanding, an anchor to the soul, sure and steadfast, that what are we going to get? A new body? We're going to be seated together with him in the heavenly places? Come back to Ephesians 1. We're going to have all of this going on. That gives us confidence. That gives us, when we look at the TV and we look at what's going on around, we can say, okay, that's not good, all right, this, that. But let's not begin to control our thinking. The, most of most of the population of the world today has been gripped with the emotion of fear. Why? Because they don't understand what's going on. They don't. You can say it's a conspiracy, or you can say it's real as the day is long. It doesn't matter. You don't know. So you operate from fear. That's why I said we operate, we are to live our life out of our knowledge. What do we know for sure? Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and one day he's taken me home 
if he tarries. And if he does tarry and I die, I'll be in his presence. So then what are you worried about all the rest of it? You get sucked into that stuff. And then the next thing you've done, instead of setting your affections on things above, now you've set stuff down here that's temporal. And we don't walk in the temporal. We walk in the eternal. He says, I want you to know the hope of your calling. I, when you are anchored in that knowledge, that's when you have hope. When that's when you have an appreciation for the future. Is this world this going to change? Oh, yeah. It's in the cycle. We're in that fourth turning. We're in the winter time. We've talked about that over the years. When it started on, in, in, in September 11th and 2001, we, we understand that. We're in it. We understand that in the wintertime, things that we're familiar with die. Institutions that are in the government die. We got that. We, that's not our hope. Our hope is that blessed and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, the riches and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Wow. The wealth that he inherits. And I'll be honest with you, we're not, I don't, this time isn't to spend in all this, but it's leading into what we're going to talk about in the heavenly places. God wants us to know how valuable we are to him. You have value. Too often times, if you look over in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Oh, what a, let's let that anchor our soul. Let's let that be our focus, the riches of his inheritance. You and I, we've been given this wonderful privilege to function and to operate in the, in the authority that he's now going to go give his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're set together in him in those heavenly places. We have this wonderful standing in who we are in Christ. And you know what? We have value. I read the reports and I read stuff on, uh, frequently and how people are lacking uh, that understanding and they think they have no value. And you know what the Father says? You have value. You don't have value over here in the things that are temporal. You have things that are over here in the eternal. You have to understand. Let that become the control your thinking. And control how you view things. And you know what real quickly begins? You get out of that emotional pity party you like to throw for yourself. And you get over here in the real and you say, you know what, let's go do this. Then in verse 19, he's, the verse starts with an and. And, third thing here. And again, these are three things you and I ought to know as adults. And we can talk, we'll talk about more of them. We'll talk more in these in the future. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his 
mighty power. Notice it's the exceeding greatness of his power according to the, his mighty power. That super abounding power that will accomplish the hope. That will accomplish his calling. That will accomplish the putting on display of his inheritance, of his riches in the church, the body of Christ. And how does he do that? By his grace. Where he says, I did it for you. Look at that thing in chapter 2, verse 7. That in the, rich, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his what? Grace. His grace. Where he stepped back and says, I'll do it for you. I did it for you. Relax now and let me show you how completely I did it for you. And we over here, well, start striving. That thing over there where he says that they are enemies of the cross for your sake. I think about the enemies of the cross. What does the cross say? I did it, you didn't. I did it, you can't. I did it, and don't you dare try. And you know what that becomes? Offensive, doesn't it, to you and I. So then when we're out here doing, we become offensive to who? To the cross. Because you know what you say? Hey, you didn't do enough. I have to help you. And his grace says, no, I did it all for you. And what I want you to do is relax. I want the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. I want you to know. Look, look over at chapter 3. Well, verse 19. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? 119, Ephesians 119. Hold on, we're, we're going to get to 3 in just a second. <laughs> the exceeding greatness of his power the working of his mighty power. The measure of his power is verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Resurrection is the standard of the super abounding, exceeding greatness, mighty power of God. There it is. Okay? Exceeding. I love that word. It gets bigger, super abounding. Now, what's, what is it bigger than? That's always the question. You know that it, he doesn't tell you what it's bigger than. So it's bigger than anything because he didn't limit it to anything. He just says it's what? Exceeding. He doesn't say it's exceeding more, you know, more than the... He just says, exceeding. Come over to chapter 3 now. In verse 18. By the way, this is the second of the prayers of Paul in Ephesians. Verse 18. He starts, it starts there in verse 15, 16, 17. That the Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints. I, comprehension is with who? All the saints, not just a little group over here and over there, but it's with all saints. 
what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Being filled with the love of Christ, that does what? Passeth knowledge. Passeth, exceeds, goes beyond the ability to comprehend. Can you comprehend that love of Christ? Ah, it's, just, it's, it's what? It's exceeding. It's bigger. It goes beyond the ability of my mind to wrap it around and go, okay, I got it. Because as soon as you go, okay, I got it, you know what it does? It slips away from you because it just got bigger. Yesterday, the Gomer died at home, the, the bearded dragon. She, she lived a life, nice old age, and she finally passed away. So we were cleaning her cage out. It's a big cage, so I'm going to have a cage for sale. You know what? I couldn't get my arms around it to move it myself, so I had to have help. It's, it got bigger. The little ones were okay, but this one, bigger. Verse 20, 320. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to, notice, the power that worketh where? The same power that raised Christ and set him at the right hand is working in you. That's the part about this thing about having value and understanding what's going on. Exceedingly abundant above. There is something beyond what I could think or desire or know. And it's his power. It's him. He gave us some wisdom, some knowledge. Come back to Ephesians 1. Some revelation of him. By the way, he gave it to us in a book, in the King James Bible. And you know what he says? I want you to know that. I want you to know him. I want you to wrap your mind around him. Now, in verse 20, you have the standard and the measure of that power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. So the standard you have is the resurrection of Christ and the setting at the right hand, okay? Now, in Israel, just real quick, Israel's program, they had a standard of God's power as well. And that standard, Exodus 15, is when they come out of Egypt. I don't know if you've ever noticed when you study Israel, they always go back to the Exodus of Egypt. When Moses and Pharaoh, ten plagues, they finally let him go. They come out, Moses stands at the Red Sea. What had just happened? Do you remember the tenth plague? The death angel, the Passover, put the blood on the doorpost, right? And then Moses says, Israel, he's at the Red Sea, he says, see your salvation. And you see God and his power close in the walls of the water on Pharaoh and his army. And what you begin to see in, in Israel, the standard of the blood, Passover, and his power, that, 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 that deliverance there. And that becomes Israel's standard all through their life, all through their history. You want to see the power of God in the Old Testament over and over again. It is not Calvary. It is leaving Egypt and the Exodus and the Red Sea events. 
You know what the standard for you and I is? His resurrection. It is Calvary now. Paul says, for us today, the standard, the measure, how you're going to know the power of God, that exceeding, super, abounding power, is at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where he delivered you from the power of sin, and where he delivered you from the dominion of sin in your life. He has set you free, and what the resurrection says Paid in full. The job is done. Here's the receipt. And you know what too often times we do? We go, thank you for saving us for sins, and then we go right over here and we live in sin. And then we bellyache about how do I stop living? Well, how do you? What's Romans 6 say? That old man's been crucified. You've been set freed from sin. You're freed, past tense, from sin. The only reason why you think about living, have you ever noticed that talking about your problems never solved your problems? Dad used to say that, and I never got it. I got to be an old man. I got it now. You know? Talking about your problems never solved your problems. But when you talk about your problems, who solved that problem? Calvary did at every turn. Come over with me quickly. 1 Corinthians 15. And Colossians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 15. Folks, this issue about the resurrection of Christ is twofold. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting about verse 55. 1555. 1555, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory... Victory over what? What did he just say? Sin and death. You see, the victory isn't that you're going to have a nice, easy go of life and all your problems will be solved and you'll win the Powerball on, day 20, on your 21st birthday and you're set for life. I saw this goofy commercial, $7,000 for a week. You know, no purchase necessary, but you got to go to their website and sign up. Really? Okay. I, uh, Publisher Clearinghouse, thank you. Okay? And I'm sitting there going, man, I, I saw it and I go, they're still around? <laughs> you know? But they are. He's not talking about an easy life. He's talking about living the life that you live with an understanding that, you know what? You have victory over sin. Romans 6.14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the what? The law. Look at Colossians 2. Come on, you got to put these things together. If I can, you can. What did he do at Calvary? 2.14, Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which are contrary to us, and took it out of the way. What did he do to that law? You're not under the law, but under grace. What did he do to that law? Nailing it to his cross. By the way, notice it's his cross. What a title. You see, folks, when you come back into Ephesians 1, the power, the standard of the exceeding, super, abounding, mighty power of God is resurrection. Why? Because the resurrection says that sin has been dealt with not only in the nature of it and, and the penalty of it and the cause of it, but also in its ruling of your life. He took you and translated you from 
the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of his dear son. He changed your citizenship. He moved you from darkness to light. And he says, it's yours. Now go live in it. Love it. Come to know me. But the verse 20 says, and. There's a second piece to it. There's a second part to our measure. And he set, his, set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all. Principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And that's where we're going to study. And that's where we're going to go and look and move into the heavenly places. When he says far above <laughs> all, that means there's no one above him. <laughs> you know, those guys c c climb that big old mountain over there, the top Everest or whatever, and they're big up there. I look like fools. Why in the world would you climb that high? You're looking down, but you know what? They get up there, and what are they doing? They're literally looking down on everything. It's the tallest point. The airplanes are beneath them. You know what? God, the Father, exalted his Son far above all. He set him above everything. Verse 22, he put all those things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things. He put him in control. And those terms of government there, principality and power and might and dominion, and over in Colossians 1, verse 16, we'll see the thrones and all of that. He put all of that governmental authority under his feet. He made him to be the rightful king and the head over all of the universe. He's the one. Come over to Colossians 2. That's a, such wonderful. It just, I, you know what that does? It far exceeds your mind's capacity to comprehend it. But it's there, and we can know it. And one day we will experience it when he sets us in those heavenly places. Colossians 2, look at verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the, head, of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him. Notice where our completeness rests. In the one that is the Godhead bodily. We are complete. Nothing left out. We're blessed with all the spiritual blessings. It's complete. We took a puzzle that Linda and the girls had put together and we glued it and put it up and hung it. And you know what it is? It's complete. I put a puzzle together, and I got holes all over the place. Linda goes, where did those go? I said, I'm out of pieces. I don't know. She goes, where would you get the puzzle? I said, Goodwill. Well, there you go. <laughs> They're somewhere in Goodwill. <laughs> I don't know. I said, but it's a, I like the puzzle. And she goes, what part? I go, this part. But guess what? you got to have the rest of the part to make that part work. <laughs> I tried to cut, and you know, it wouldn't work. You're complete, but who are you complete in verse 10? In him who is, which is the head of all principality and power. Our completeness is in the one who the Father set, Ephesians 1, 
above all, far above all principality and power and might and thrones and dominions and rulers and every other name that's named. It's all, he sits above it all. And because of who we are in him, guess what? We're going to sit there as well. We sit together with him. Now, I want, real quick, I want to look here at the heavenly places. And what I want to do, you got all, I, I, I went through all of that to get here. All that was intro to get to here. Because if you're paying attention to the hope of his calling, what is anchoring your soul? If you're paying attention to the inheritance of his saints and the riches of it and the wealth and how valuable you are, and then we move over here and we talk about his power and the exceeding greatness and the abundance of his power. And he says, I'm going to put all that out there on display in the heavenly places. There are four things you've got to remember about the heavenly places as we move forward and as we begin to look at them. First of all, this is not number one. Go to Romans 8 real quick. Heavenly places, principalities and powers. When you talk about the heavenly places, sometimes things can get a little confusing about them. And what begins to happen then is they, it, I don't understand the confusion, but it happens, okay? Romans 8, look at verse 38. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Do you see how the angels and the principalities and powers are listed separately? Okay. The angel, the creature, the angel, can occupy the office of the principality or the power. They are not the principality or the power. They're different. The principalities, powers, thrones, those are the offices, the positions. You and I are going to fill them. Sometimes there's this idea that when we go to heaven, we become angels. Sorry, Charlie. You become the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ, okay? Follow that? So let's clear, get that in our thinking, Okay? You got that? Now go back to Ephesians 1. Four things you got to think about these, and we'll do them quickly. First of all, the heavenly places are real. They're locate, they're, they're, they're really locate, they're real places, a real location. Come over with me to Revelation 12. Just like we are sitting this morning in the city of Tempe, in the county of Maricopa in the state of Arizona, in the United States of America, okay? It's a real location, Revelation 20. They are real. This isn't a bunch of figment of someone's imagination. This isn't a hooly-doo step stone to do this or that. These are real, Revelation 12, verse 7. And there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Now watch. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Well, if, if they lost their place, if their place was no longer found, that means it was what? It was there before the war. Okay? So first thing you got to remember, 
come back to Colossians 1, is that they are a physical location. They are real in the second heaven, in the universe out there. Okay? Colossians chapter 1. I got to do this quick because I was exhorting you to do the other stuff a little longer than I anticipated. Colossians chapter 1. The second point is that the heavenly places are organized. They, they're, they're not just thrown up there. In Isaiah, we'll go over and we'll see the war and stuff. He's going to take, Isaiah says that he takes the heaven as a scroll and he rolls it together and he shakes out the inhabitants. That's the war. Satan, the usurper, he's usurped that. The Lord says the heavens are, are um, they're not clean in my sight. They're dirty, they're contaminated. You know, what, you know what Lucifer did? He went up, instead of making a couple, he made a bunch. And, and Paul rolls in and says, well, not Paul. God rolls in and says, nope, I only need this number. <laughs> and he shakes them out, cleans them up. They're real. And they're organized. Colossians 1, verse 16. I, I think about that shake up when, the, when President Trump and the First Lady moved in. The First Lady, she shook up her staff. Went from this big down to what she just needed. That's what the Lord's going to do. Get rid of the big, move to the little. Colossians 1, they're organized. Verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. What does he do? When does he, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And then we begin to read about the physical creation, don't we? And he begins the six days of creation and he walks down through that. But at the same time that he's creating the physical, he's creating this governmental structure to run and to rule over that physical creation. He's doing both. And by the way, notice there that they are by him and what? For him. See, he took, Amos 9 talks about the stories in heaven. That concept of building. You go downtown, see a big building. Ricky was just down in Chicago visiting. And you see those big buildings. And you know what you say? How many stories is that? Stories, organization, levels, all the way up. Come over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Number 3. Right now, they, the heavenly places sit in the hands of a usurper. They sit in the hands of the adversary. You got Luke 4, and you're going to need Isaiah 14. Two passages, get them together. Luke 4 and Isaiah 14. Luke 4 first. Luke 4, verse number 5, in the temptation of Christ, the devil, verse 5, and the devil taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him, notice now, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. When he says all the kingdoms in the world in the moment of time, that includes the nation of Israel. Always remember that. Because Israel is under satanic captivity at this point. They're in that fifth course of judgment. They belong to the adversary, to the strong man. Verse 6, And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that it is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. You know what he says? They're mine. 
they're mine. And if I want to give them to somebody, by the way, he does ultimately give them to a gentleman that we call the Antichrist. He gives him the power. He says, I give it, they were given to me. You know who gave them to him? God the Father did. And he says, they're mine. Isaiah 14. You start in verse number 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. You take that term there at the end, Lucifer's plan here to, to usurp the authority is laid out here in a mocking uh, demonstration of, of the believing nation as, the, as Lucifer is cast, Satan is cast into that lake of fire, that final castation there. And you know what they say? You said all this and look at what it got you. The pit is what it got you. Hell is what it got you. But you know what he says? I'll be like the who? The most high. You write down Genesis 14, verse 18 and 19. The first place that that term, the most high, is used. It's used by Abraham and uh, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm I'm sorry. Um, I just lost his. I wanted to say Nebuchadnezzar, but it ain't Nebuchadnezzar. Methuselah. No, it ain't Methuselah. Doggone it. Melchizedek. It's one of those M words. Okay. Abraham and Melchizedek. And he says, Genesis 14, 19, And blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possess, comma, possessor of heaven and earth. You know what Satan said? I'm the possessor of heaven and earth. Come back over to John chapter 12, real quick. John 12. You know what he says? I want to be like the Most High. I want to possess heaven and earth. So you know what the Lord does? The Lord says, you got it, turkey. John 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Same term in chapter 14, verse 30. The earth is all his, 1430, hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. You know what he says? I'm going to be the possessor of heaven and earth. And he says, yep, there you go. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the mind. You know what Paul says? He's still the God of this world. Ephesians chapter 2. We're on our way back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. and verse 2, Paul says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of this. You see that prince of the power of air? Prince, chief ruler, power, governmental authority, air, the invisible realm out there. He's the, the chief ruler of the governing authority in the invisible realm. That's who he is. And he says, I got the power, and the power's mine. 
But then you got number four. And the fourth issue to remember about the heavenly places is that God has a reconciliation program for those heavenly places. In Philippians chapter 3. God has a plan to restore all of the authority back under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the earth, he uses Israel. But in the heavens, he's using the church, the body of Christ. And since we're in the heavenly places, that's what we're going to talk about. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And that, that's, there's the rapture, there's the new body, there's those events we've already discussed, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That word subdue, Paul drags you back to Genesis 1, where God tells Adam, you go out there and you subdue the creation that I just created. You control it. You're the king in it. You're, you are going to be the ruler, Adam. Now you know what he does for us? He says, I'm going to give you a new body so that you can function a new humanity, a new creature, a new man can function in the heavenly places and bring it back underneath my authority and bring it back underneath my control, my headship. Run over to Colossians 1. We participate in that. Why? Because we're valuable to the Father. We're His inheritance. We have a hope of, that, of His calling. We begin to learn who we are. We have an anchor that's going to that's going to hold down our soul and, and, and make it sure and steadfast. And we know he's going to do it by his power. That super, abundant, exceeding power. Colossians 1, verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You know what? He's creator. I, I love that thing I heard years ago. If you think you're God... Step out of this universe and make your own universe. By the way, start with your own dirt. Guess what? Man, man can't do that. See, man thinks he's, he, he's his own God. Romans 1. Guess what? If you think you're your own God, go out there and create your own, but start with your own dirt. Don't use God's dirt. He's the creator. And... He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For Why is he head over all things? Why is he the head? For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. He's the head, so he would have the preeminence. Preeminence, top dog. I love that thing. He's the potentate rather than the potentator. He's the potentate. He's the head He's the one. Verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. He's going to reconcile it all back unto himself. Folks, God has a plan to reconcile the whole system. And when you come back to Ephesians 1, he's going to bring it all back under his headship. He's going to use the church, the body of Christ, to accomplish that in the heavenly places. 
You need to, you're going to need to remember as we go forward, the heavenly places, they are real. They're organized. They sit today in that spiritual wickedness category in Ephesians 6, verse 12. But yet one day he's going to use us to reconcile it, to fix it, to bring it all back. That word reconciled, to restore the relationship. And we have the standard to know that he's going to be able to do it. One, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then two, we now know the plan. We know the details. And as we begin to move into those heavenly places and we begin to look around, we're going to have to remember those four things. Because you're going to get in there, we're going to see some creatures up in there, and you're going to go, huh? You're going to see some different things. You're going to see this. We'll talk about it. And, and you're going to have to remember they're real. But yet, who's in charge of them right now? The adversary is. Okay? All right. We're going to look around up there. Remember those four things. Okay? All right. Don't Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the folks here, for their willingness to come out and to, to study and to fellowship and to, to be around uh, those of like precious faith. We'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory of everything that's said and done. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to